morning and welcome to church. You guys made it. And if you're online, I want to welcome you as well. Happy Father's Day to the fathers uh, with us this morning. Can we talk about the elephant in the room this morning? And that is uh, Mason Vinhouse cut his hair and is almost unrecognizable. Um, I seriously thought it was somebody else this morning. Looking good. That is, that is a good looking man. Um, if Mason, yeah, he has been gifted. So my name is Stuart. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at ACF Church, and we are in week four of our series, Counterculture, uh, where we are really looking at uh, the idea that the kingdom culture is a counterculture, and that Jesus Christ did not come uh, just to add something to our culture, but really to radically change us so that we would radically infect our culture and affect our culture. Uh, So that's the idea. Uh, It's Father's Day, so I feel like uh, a really good Father's Day joke uh, is in order, right? Are you ready? You guys online, you guys ready too? All right, what do you call a group of dads waiting to get their hair cut? What do you call a group of dads waiting to get their hair cut? I'm going to pause just momentarily that if you have not gone and taken part of Smokehouse Barbecue's stuff outside, uh, this would be a great uh, day to do that. We have uh, cowboy fries, which are my favorite, uh, you w- weird people that get anything not on there that should be on there, um, just get them the way they make them. They're amazing. Uh, we also have pulled pork for you, too. But what do you call a group of dads waiting to get their hair cut? A barbecue. <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be a great one. I just said it was going to be a dad joke. So, yeah, there you go. We're off to a roaring start this morning. So I have a question I want you to think about. Have you ever known the right thing to do and then decided to do something different? Have you ever known the right thing to do and then gone ahead and just done the other thing? Not accidentally slipped into something uh, because you just weren't quite aware of what was right or wrong, but you just absolutely knew this is the right thing and I'm going to do this. I think, we could, I think we're all there if we want to be honest with, with ourselves this morning, which we should, we're in church, to so be honest. Uh, I remember back when I was about 20 or so, I uh, lived in Tucson and I would go off-road motorcycle riding east of Tucson, Reddington Pass. And uh, I had a little off-road motorcycle with a license plate so I could ride it on the street. And I'd just been all day riding in the summer. And it was a great time in, in Tucson, uh, unlike Alaska, which evidently rains all the time, uh, at least this uh, spring. But Tucson doesn't get a whole lot of rain. And when we get it, it's in, you know, like late June, maybe July, August is the monsoon season, and we get all of the rain in that time. And that's when I was riding my motorcycle, so I was out in the hills, and the, all the dry, they call them rivers uh, in Tucson, but they're not. They're just dry wash beds until the monsoons come, and then they start flowing, a really nice chalky, brown, gross-looking water. But it's still fun to ride through. Here in Alaska, that's just normal. Um, you know, that's a Monday. So there I'm riding all day in really deep, muddy water, And I come, and I'm on my way home, and I have a decision to make. I can turn left and take a shortcut to my house, 
which goes down this road and through a, about a 50 to 70 foot dry riverbed uh, wash area. A road has been cut through it, but it was flowing. Or I can go the extra four miles and go home. And so I turn and go down the road and I see these two giant barricades that say road closed. And so I immediately know that I should not go through the wash, but I'm looking at it and it's like, you know, maybe that deep. And I'm, I'm like, I'm confident I could get through that without being injured. It wasn't unsafe. Maybe they forgot to take the signs down. I just tried to justify my head. Well, I look across the little, little wash that's flowing, and I see a, a, a sheriff deputy working with an abandoned car uh, that evidently got stuck in the sand. And I had a decision to make. And so, of course, being 20, and I know better because I can get across this safely. I went ahead and went across. And to my surprise, he was very interested in my motorcycle, so he asked me to stop. Um, and pull over, which I thought, this is cool. He's gonna, he wants to see my off-road bike. And he really just wanted to see my license and registration and gave me a ticket for failure to obey a traffic control device. Um, and just because I have to clear my name, I did get dismissed later when I challenged it in court. But <laughs> I turned and saw that road close sign, and I knew exactly what I should have done, which is gone the extra four miles home. Instead, I decided to go right on, on past it. But we do this all the time, right? We're going to go with the flow on the Glen when we pass these little rectangular signs that are pretty clear on the, the limit, right? But we, go, we, we, we don't want to cause an accident. We don't want to cause an impedance to other people on the road. So we'll go with the flow uh, and we'll push the limit. Um, something, I've I got two daughters now. My oldest, uh, my oldest two daughters are permitted drivers now. So I'm teaching them to drive. And so they look and they uh, critique everything I do. And they're trying to learn the traffic laws. And so something that I wasn't aware that I did, but evidently I do, and I'm not admitting this, this is just hypothetical, <laughs> but I've been told by both my daughters that I roll through almost every stop sign uh, that I come to. So there's a clear message, and I know what it is, and I know what I should do, and yet I roll right on through it. And I'm still, again, hypothetically, if there's police officers in the audience today, I'm not admitting anything. So. I also want to be in shape, right? And maybe some of you are in the same boat. I know exactly what I need to do. I know the right thing to do to be in shape. I need to, to eat better, eat less, and probably exercise regularly. Like, it's not, a, it's not rocket science, right? So, but I also like potato chips, ice cream, and sitting on the couch. And so I, I have a battle. I know the right thing to do, and I'm going to probably do the other thing most of the time. Anyway, relationships, somebody... Uh, you have an interaction and they let you down. They don't follow through with a the commitment. They say something that offends you or hurts you. And you know the right thing to do is maybe co to confront them and, and let them know the damage that's been done. But instead, we, we push it down and pretend it didn't happen or we get back at them. I'm passive aggressive, so that's what I do. Uh, I will get back at you in other ways later on um, and you won't even realize it. And I'll be like, why can't you figure it out? But, so I know the right thing to do is to come directly at you and talk to you face to face with respect. But instead, I do something different. And maybe you do the same thing. And the reality is that we all make these choices throughout our lives. We all come to these decision points where we know what we should do, and yet we willfully choose something different. We choose something that's less than, than ideal for our lives. And so the bad news is that we're gonna continue to do this throughout our lives, that we all are in the same boat rowing it together in some, some way. But the good news is that Jesus Christ gives us very clear uh, direction and encouragement on how to navigate some, some I think, uh, uh, hard issues uh, to deal with in this area. And we see that in Mark chapter 4. And so I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bible, to open up to Mark chapter 4. 
Uh, if you don't have a physical Bible, you can download the ACF app. And if you haven't done that, I highly encourage you to do that. Uh, you can get all the past sermons. Uh, you can links to all the video. You can take notes on that. Uh, there's all kinds of fun stuff you can do on that. There's a Bible in there. ACF Church, you can look for it on whatever device store you, you have. We're also going to have it on the screen behind me. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is Jesus talking, and it says, uh, or it's talking about Jesus and what he says. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along a path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell along rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. In verse 9, and he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so we have this this picture where Jesus is uh, by the Sea of Galilee. And I wanted to look up because I'm not super familiar with the geography of Israel. So um, I love learning different things. And so I wanted, I I learned this. And it's like stuff you probably already know, but maybe you don't. I don't know. Uh, The Sea of Galilee is kind of on the eastern side of Israel towards the north of the country. And West of it, about maybe 50 kilometers, um, so like, you know, 35 miles or so uh, west is Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And then just between Bethlehem, just on this side of it to the Sea of Galilee, is uh, Nazareth, where Jesus lived. That's where his parents lived. That's where he grew up. And then right on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee is a city called Capernaum. And Capernaum, if you read through the Gospels, you'll find out that that's where it says Jesus made his home in Capernaum. And Capernaum was right on the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is a teardrop-shaped giant lake that's 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide at its top, uh, where Jesus is at this, this moment. Um, so it's a pretty big lake. Uh, and he spent a lot of his time in that northern area. So when it says he crossed the lake, generally he crossed just east to west, uh, rather than north to south, and there's reasons for that, but he spent a lot of his time up near Capernaum in the northwest corner, and that's where he is. And it says that he's speaking to thousands, or a, a large crowd, and so more than, more than a few. And I'm just thinking, here we have a couple hundred, and we got an amplified microphone and speakers, and so you could hear me. Could people hear Jesus if he's in a boat, waves rocking, and they're on the shore listening? And there's actually places on the Sea of Galilee where the rock formations allow crowds, even today, to gather and people to sit in boats and teach without amplification. Um, And so this is the scene that we see uh, Jesus teaching this in. And it says he teaches a parable. And a a parable, uh, and I love that Mark records this one. It says he's he's teaching a lot of things, and then this is one of them. So this is just one of many things. He didn't just get out there in the boat, teach this parable, and then go back in. Um, This was a a lengthy teaching, and this was part of it. Um, But it's a what is a parable? A parable is a, is a memorable story, a relatable story that, that you'll walk away with and you'll, you'll remember it. So it's easy. It's something you're, you're familiar with. It's something you remember, but it's got a deeper meaning. 
So it, it sounds, you know, it's, it's a good story you can remember and tell, but it's got something else that it's actually trying to say. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Um, and he, he starts off and he says there are four kinds of ground. There's four kinds of ground that he's, he's addressing in this story, right? And, and the first is the path. And I think, I, I'm not a farmer. Uh, my, if you ask me what my dream is, is to own like a, you know, 10,000 acres and I want to have cows and goats and sheep and uh, farmland and all the things. I have no idea how to do any of that. I just think it'd be awesome. So, but I'm not that. And so I had to relate this to my, my little world, which is my, my yard. And I have about a 100-foot dirt driveway that has D1 rocks, you know, the little rocks that have been pounded down in it. So like during breakup, it's a mud pit. Uh, but right now, it's like concrete. And so I was thinking the path is like where my car drives in and out of the driveway every day. And it's those two ruts on either side of the, the, the driveway. And they're just pounded down. You can throw seed, like the, all the birch and the cottonwood and the, the spruce trees in our yard drop seeds constantly. I've never once seen a seed sprout in this area. It just gets pummeled and trampled. Uh, birds come and eat it, like squirrels come and get them, whatever. There's just nothing that builds up there. That's, that's in my mind, like the path that he's talking about, hard ground. Uh, well, then we have the rocky soil. So we have rocky ground. And this is, I think, like, in my mind, the, the middle, the, the hump between the two ruts in my driveway. It's right now, if you looked at it, it's kind of like this yellowy, light green grass. Weeds are trying to grow there. But if we have another day like today where it's sunny outside, that stuff will turn yellow and die. Like, it just doesn't have any depth. It can't get down far enough uh, or enough dirt to actually do anything uh, to grow. And then we have, uh, then we have the thorns, um, the thorny ground, right? And this is my yard. Uh, I have lots of dandelions that grow. I had grass. Uh, the previous owner did an amazing job uh, just caring for our grass. It has since been taken over by dandelions, mostly uh, some moss. But, and, and some grass is mixed in there. But what I've noticed is that dandelions have very thick leaves, um, and so very broad leaves. So what they do is they grow, and if you don't keep mowing them down, or even when you do, they overshadow the grass, and the grass can't grow. So they're competing for that sunlight, and the weeds win out every time. And nice thing about Alaska is you can, they never get like, dry and hard like they do in Arizona. You just mow them, and it looks beautiful. So my neighbors think I have a great lawn, except for when they see the yellow heads of the dandelions pop up, and then the, the wish flowers, as my kids call them, when they turn into the nice seeds that, you know, help my neighbors to grow them as well. <laughs> so um, then we have the good ground, and this is my neighbors. Uh, my neighbors who uh, just brought in uh, last week all new topsoil for part of their yard. Uh, I'm assuming it looked very nutrient-rich, and they covered their yard with it, and then they had it hydro-seeded. Uh, just like we did out here in some of the grassy areas around ACF. And I know that in a week or two, their yard is going to be amazing with grass. Um, not a lot of weeds, but mostly just grass. It's going to look really good. It's good soil. It's meant to grow grass, and it's going to do what it's, what it's been designed to do. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I'm envisioning as Jesus tells this uh, parable. And so when he gets done teaching, he comes in, and a smaller group is around him. So the crowd has kind of gone away. And there's a smaller group, including his 12 best friends, his 12 disciples. And they're, they, they come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, good teaching. Uh, good job. So in this one instance, when you're talking about these seeds uh, in the ground, were you just giving us farming advice? Like it was a good story or was there something deeper? Because if there was something deeper, we don't understand it. Can you help us to understand what you were talking about? And Jesus then goes on to explain 
what, what this parable means. And it's one of the few times we actually get in the New Testament where we get the direct explanation of what Jesus was talking about. And he says, well, the seed is the word of God. It goes out to everybody. It just gets scattered to everybody. Everybody gets the same seed, right? So that's, that's the message that God has for you. So if you're not a believer, that's the gospel message that Jesus came, that he lived a, a perfect life, that he was willingly taken to the cross. He was crucified, uh, paying the penalty for our sin, and then he rose from the dead, and then he sits at the right hand of God today, uh, waiting to return. That in exchange for our, our uh, um, faith in him, understanding that he takes our sin, we get his righteousness. That's a really good deal. That's the gospel message. It continues with us today. The word, that seed that's planted really is just God's word and his direction in our lives as he sanctifies us, as he uh, makes us more and more his people uh, as we walk close with him. So that's the, that's the seed, that's the word. So then we have uh, the path, and that's really a heart. He's talking about heart conditions of people, and he says, and this is verses 14 through 20 if you're, if you're following along. We're not going to read it, but he, I'm just going to summarize what he says. He says the path is like a hard heart. That they, here's the information, but doesn't respond to it. It's like, not for me, um, not interested. i got other things I'm going to be focusing on. And so quickly, uh, Satan comes, or birds come, but, and takes that away. And so they don't have a chance to really interact with it. And then you have the, the rocky soil, or a heart um, that is, takes root, it sprouts, it's got some nutrients, it's like interested, and it's kind of like a believer or a person um, who is interested in the gospel message. I like the Jesus crowd. I like, I like the, the idea of having a community around me uh, that cares for me and does good things. But as soon as life gets hard or something happens that I can't really understand, I'm out. I'm going to go find something else uh, that will help me uh, put a framework around my life. And then you have the weeds. And these, these are people that understand the message. Uh, they may respond to it. And then, but they still kind of have a foot in the world. They're kind of looking around and there's other things, uh, whether good or evil, that are distracting them from really all in following uh, the word of God. And then you have the good ground. And that's somebody who's just like, I'm in both feet. I heard it. I'm responding to it. I'm digging deep. I'm going all in. There's nothing that can waver, uh, make me waver at all in my belief. So that's, that's the four kinds of soil uh, that Jesus is talking about and what he's really communicating in uh, the parable. The interesting thing is um, the message doesn't change, right, right? So the message doesn't change for each type of soil. It's not a different seed that he's throwing out. It's the same message, but the soil that needs to respond to it. And it, it re- interacts differently with different kinds of heart. Uh, and this is, I was thinking about it this week, uh, that when I read Scripture, when I read God's Word, there are times when I really wish Scripture would change. I really wish God would maybe change. But we're told God doesn't change from yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that he's always the same, which is a consistent God uh, we can follow and rely on him. And that should bring us great comfort. But the reality is, if something's going to change in my response to God's word, it's always going to be me. I'm the one that has to bend to the word of God, not the other way around. And sometimes I confuse that message. And I don't know if you do the same, but that was just a thought I had in this. And what he's teaching really is that we're responsible for the message when we hear it. That we bear some responsibility to respond in a certain way when we hear the message. We all know how we should respond. We all know what the right thing to do should be. But then there's the how we have actually responded to the word of God. How we have responded to the message. Or maybe how we're responding right now 
uh, to that message. And really, this idea is countercultural in, in two arenas. Uh, it's countercultural in two arenas. And it's because our, our culture deeply values two things self fulfillment and temperance. Our culture values self fulfillment and temperance. Self fulfillment, which is I need to be happy at all costs, that I deserve to be happy. It's about me. That doesn't, that doesn't fit with my, my happiness. You're asking me to change. I'm happy with who I am. Uh, we're, we're told to just get along, right, with our culture. So we have, you know, coexist, just, just get along. We're, we're told love is love. Um, if, if it makes you uncomfortable, don't do it. And, and that's the self-fulfillment. It really is about me. The idea that being happy um, isn't always the same as being holy. And temperance, and I see this um, around me inside the church even, and that's the idea that you can be a good Christian just enough to make you a moral person or a better person, that it, that it helps you in whatever goals you have, but it doesn't radically change who you are. You're not one of those crazy Christians, right? It's okay until you're that. It's okay until you're, you're, you're weird, and then you've got to stop. It's okay until you decide you need to have a different career path or your relationship needs to change or your, your, your time in investment or your money investments need to change because you're following Jesus and you're responding to that wholeheartedly. That temperance, just enough Jesus to make you feel better. There's three things in this parable, this, this passage, uh, these nine verses that Jesus is warning us against. There's three things we're warned against in Mark chapter 4. And the first is the devil. The first is the devil. The devil is a real, a, a real entity actively trying to trip you up, actively trying to get you focused on anything but Jesus, on anything but following God. The devil is, is real. Um, this is not just a fairy tale cartoon caricature uh, that, that we're trying to paint. This is, the devil is, is a real uh, creation from God um, who has put his mind to getting between you and God. And we're told in 1 Peter 5.8 this. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The second thing is the flesh. And this is really us. The second thing we battle, battle against, that we're warned against here, is us. Is our own desires that will war uh, inside of us. The things that we desire, both good and bad. Because there's good things that we desire that we can go to the extreme with or at the exclusion of following God. And there's obviously things that we can choose that are just bad for us and other people and our connection with God. So we can choose those things. And Romans 8, 6 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And the third thing is the world. This is our, this is our culture. These are the people around us. Again, both good and bad things uh, we can find in here. But they're things that draw our attention away from following Jesus, away from the word of God. And we see this in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when we hear, these, we hear the message that God is sending us, whether we're, we're not a believer and we hear the gospel, we have a responsibility to respond to it, to consider it, to ask the harder questions. If we're a believer and we've been walking with God, 
and we may have even distracted, we also have that a responsibility to soften our hearts to what God is telling us in his word. And Jesus ends this parable with a phrase that I think is kind of, it's, it sounds silly to me. I don't know if it sounds silly to you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's this idea that we should have, obviously, we should have ears that hear, which are, I think, ears that obviously hear the message, that audibly hear the words, but then respond, a heart that responds to it, a mind that asks questions. I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense. This seems harsh. Why is this the way it is? Why did they say it this way? But then doesn't just ask the questions, but then looks for answers and seeks those answers. Those are ears to hear. Then there's ears that don't hear, and that's really... I don't like the messenger, so I'm not going to listen to the message. It's, you didn't prepackage this in just the right way for me, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen uh, to what you, you have to say. I want you to do the work, and I'm not going to ask questions about this. It didn't come to me just the way I needed it right now, so therefore, therefore, it's not something that I have to deal with. I'm happy with kind of where I am. In the Old Testament, there are two, two ways that God describes the nation of Israel. Um, Frequently, unfortunately, stiff-necked, says you're my stiff-necked people, which means they just have this a desire or a, 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 a um, tendency to not bend to the direction of God, to not follow what God is asking them to do. So stiff-necked or hard-hearted, and that really relates to uh, the, the the parable that Jesus tells us in chapter uh, Mark chapter four, that the condition of our heart. Uh, before God. And so he, he refers to the nation of Israel as stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And I, if you think back, this is a nation that they came to Egypt, which got them through the famine, as 70 people. And now they're millions of people. And, but they've been enslaved by the Egyptians. So God brings them out through miraculous signs that they all saw. He brings them through a sea on dry land. He feeds them miraculously through manna, which literally means, what is it? They didn't know what it was either. We don't know what it is, but it was something that they could eat every day that appeared on the ground that they were able to eat and survive for over 40 years in the desert. He also provided them um, kind of bonus meat occasionally, uh, gave them water from dry ground. They got to audibly hear his voice come from the mountain, right? They're standing at the foot of the mountain, God speaks directly and audibly to the entire nation of Israel and tells them, this is what I want you to do. This is how you need to live before me. And have you ever wondered, like, I wish God would just tell me what I should be doing? They got that. They literally got that directly from the voice of God. And then he said, no, don't talk to us anymore. Talk to Moses. We'll, we'll listen to what you say to him and we'll follow that. And then he goes on to, to clarify, this is how you should run your nation. So they get very clear directions on how they should live. And what did they do? The first chance they got every time, I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish, what, it's God, he's not, we, he's untrustworthy. We can't trust him. He's going to kill us out here in the desert. He's not going to do what he said he was going to do. And so they turn away from following God time and time again. In Hebrews 3.15, the writer is looking back at this, this period where uh, one of the specific example, but... Uh, where the, the nation of Israel rebelled or complained against God. And he says this in Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as, if, as in the rebellion. And he's quoting back the writer of Hebrews to Psalm 95, which is really just going over some of God's feelings and, and thoughts he has as he's uh, thinking about 
the nation of Israel during this time period where they were kept rebelling against him, where they were stiff-necked, where they were hard-hearted. And he's saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in rebellion. React differently. Let your heart be soft and absorb the word and, and respond to it in a different way than the nation of Israel did. And it's the same message we get today. And so we're really challenged, I think, with making a decision today to soften our hearts, to have ears that hear, to soften our hearts to the message of the truth, to soften our hearts to learning and about God, soften our hearts to understanding the difficult things in the Word of God, to soften our hearts to following God's leading, and to soften our hearts to making the hard countercultural choices to follow Jesus no matter what people say, do, or think about you to be all in for Jesus. And so the question that's the harder question that we all have to wrestle with this morning, and I think as we read these words from Jesus in Mark 4, is this. What condition is your heart before God? What kind of soil is the Word of God finding in your heart today? When we humbly submit ourselves and our desires and our our thinking and our actions to following God, we're going to find that He will work deeply in our lives and the lives of the people around us. My wife and I joke around uh, that we're just looking for a large lost bag of money, and if you find it, it's ours, so please return it. And, and I was thinking about like, as how we invest and how we respond to the Word of God. There are times when I open the Word of God, and it just absolutely hits me right where I am today. It's easy to understand. It's like it's low-hanging fruit, uh, so to speak. It's just... It, it's easy to know what God is trying to communicate to me. It applies directly to what my heart's dealing with today. And I can, I can go off and, and, and enjoy that day. There are other times I read it and I have absolutely no clue what God's word is saying to me today. Or it seems very unrelated. And I was thinking like this large bag of money that my wife and I are on our lifetime quest to find. Uh, it's, it's also like digging for gold. Like it's springtime in Alaska and so people are now, you know, they're down by Eagle River. They're, they're panning for gold. Those are the you know, the, the hobbyists, and then you've got people whose minds are opening up or have opened up, and they've got, you know, land rights. They're cutting into mountains. Uh, they, they're moving a lot of dirt. They're processing ore. Uh, they're looking really hard. They're investing life savings into this and a lot of time and, and, and money, and they, they will find it. Um, I've never once tripped over like a 500-pound gold nugget um, hiking around Alaska. I want to. I want to find the gold. I want to find the thing that's valuable, and uh, so I think Investing in the Word of God can be like that sometimes. There's times when you, you will find it just hobbying down on the Eagle River. You can probably find a little bit of color in your pan. But the reality is to find something of real value, most of the time we're going to have to dig with it. We're going to have to invest time and effort and energy uh, and really work at it and be determined to get to the, to the, the end result. Uh, it's not just going to be on the surface for us. And so that brings me to a side question, um, which is why does Jesus talk in parables? Why does Jesus speak in parables? Because he could, he could have just come right out and said, this is, what, this is what I need you to deal with. The condition in your heart needs, needs to change. You hard-hearted people need to soften your hearts, and you need to listen to, to what I have to say. It will change your life. He didn't have to tell a story about a sower and a seed, but he did. And he tells parables all the time. And if you read on in the, in the chapter here, chapter 4, he talks about, they kind of ask him why he's, Jesus is talking in parables. And I think he, he sums up two reasons. And they are this, to hide the truth from those interested in hearing it 
and to reveal the truth to those willing to study it. So if you're not interested in finding it, if you're not really that committed, it's going to seem like it doesn't make any sense. It's not going to really have that much of an effect in your mind or your heart. But if you're committed to digging in, you're going to find that the Word of God uh, starts to reveal itself to you. And so I think Jesus, he explains, like, to hide it from people that aren't interested. God's not playing hide-and-seek with us in his Word. He wants to be found. He wants you to connect with him. But he's not playing a game, and he doesn't want you to play either. He wants you to be committed and to come to him with that mindset, a soft heart, ready to hear. And God is after something that we don't necessarily always think about, and that's real life change. He's not after just do the right thing, just look like have a good moral looking life. He's talking about true character change, a true heart change that can only come from engaging in the word of God. And it's a lasting change. And that requires work on our part. And we live in a culture that I don't like to work. I'd rather you just hand it to me. Just tell me what you want me to do. And God's like, I want you to know why. I want you to experience the underlying reasons that led to this. So what's the condition of your heart? And this passage, I think, really forces us. It asks us uh, to consider this. Like, what is, We have to ask ourselves this. Have we let our past hurt and frustrations harden our hearts to the point where we're no longer able to receive what God is speaking to us? Have we been living with the false idea that following Jesus won't affect our lives, our thinking, or our behaviors? Won't have an effect on me. Have we been living with the false idea? Oh, I'm sorry. Have we, have we been pursuing the things around us with more passion and attention than we're pursuing Jesus? And lastly, have we committed our time, energy, and attention to seeking and understanding what God has for us? The Word of God is ready willing and able to have a deep impact in our lives are we ready and willing to allow it Hebrews 4 12 and 13 says this about the word of God and its effect in our lives for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God's word will have an effect in us when we allow it to truly, truly get inside. I don't know where you came in this morning. Um, and you walked in here. It's a nice sunny day outside. It's Father's Day. You chose to spend it here at church, and I commend you for that. But I know we all carry different things with us. And I want to encourage you. There's a, a psalm that I want to read the last two verses of in just a second. Psalm 139. If you've ever felt like you're invisible to the world, that you're, nobody cares, nobody's listening, that you don't matter, read Psalm 139. Just read it every day this week. It's a great psalm. I go to it often because it reminds me of God's great love for us from before we were born to the time we'll be with him again. But the last two verses apply directly. Um, I think it's a great prayer about allowing God to examine our hearts, to soften our hearts. And it, it says this in verse 23 and 24 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let that be the prayer of your heart today. God, search me. Show me 
what's there. I can think I'm doing pretty good. But God, show me what grieves you. Show me what hurts. Show me where I'm not walking with you, where I've hardened my heart, where I've stiffened my neck to your word. So what do we go from here? What do we do? Um, on your seats was a card. It looks like that. And it's got action steps on the back and then at the bottom, uh, on the other side of that, so you can rip this little card off. Um, and I encourage you to do that. And we're, if you put your contact info and drop it in a basket before you leave, we'll send you a text this week just to remind you that you made a commitment. Uh, not to harass you or hound you. Uh, really just to remind you. We can all use a reminder sometimes. So I encourage you to take advantage of that. We just want to try to help you take another step. So if you haven't responded to the Word of God, step the first thing in, uh, on the action steps may be for you. Begin a relationship with Jesus. To put your faith in Jesus Christ. To believe who he said he was, the Son of God who came, who lived, died, and rose again on your behalf. To take your sin from you and to give you his righteousness. Invite someone to join you at church next week. We're going through the book of Mark this summer. It's a great book. It's, it's good for us. It's good for our, our friends and neighbors, uh, the people we do business with to hear. Have the boldness just to ask them, would you come to church with me? Confess an area of hardness of heart. And maybe you're realizing you've, you're, your heart has become a little hard towards God. Talk to God about that and ask him to change your heart. The last one is commit to reading the whole book of Mark. We've said before, the, we're going through the book of Mark. You can catch up. You're only four chapters behind if you haven't started. Uh, if you're keeping up, maybe you've already read through it. Uh, it's a great refresher uh, for all of us. I encourage you uh, to read along as we go. We'll be in Mark chapter 5 next week, so I encourage you to do that. Drop that in the basket before you leave. Uh, one last thing is today uh, I'm going to pray in just a minute, and then we're going to have the worship team come back up and lead us in, in some more worship. Uh, but we're going to have some folks around the front edge of the stage, and if you came today with some things on your heart that you want to want prayer for, you just want someone to uh, go before God with you uh, and, and take take those those things to God. Um, don't don't keep them inside. Come forward during the worship; uh, they'll be happy to pray with you. Take advantage of that. Uh, don't leave here uh, without doing uh, without doing some business with God this morning. Would you stand as we end our time in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your great love for us. Lord, demonstrated and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, we can try as we might, but we will never fully please you. We cannot live up to the righteousness that you are. But Lord, through Jesus Christ, we are given away that we can put our faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. And then in exchange for our sin, he gives us his righteousness before you. And we can be sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lord, I thank you for the peace that that brings in the midst of a chaotic world. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, to not just respond to that message, but to take that message into our culture, into our community. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to share the truth of your word with others. Lord, let it change us, but let it also go through us and change others. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Guys, have a great day.